Good morning, Honeyridge Baptist Church. As Pastor Clinton mentioned, my name is Chris Lejeune, and I have the wonderful privilege of bringing you God's Word this morning. Now, to the, for those of you who uh, may be counting, perhaps you're not, uh, but today marks the, the 164th day of lockdown in South Africa. What was supposed to be three weeks has turned into nearly six months of doubt, of uncertainty, of frustration and anger for many people. I don't think that there are many in this country who can say that they have not been affected by this virus and its subsequent lockdown. Many, if not all of us, have directly been impacted either through contracting corona or knowing someone who has. And sadly, many of us have lost loved ones. And it doesn't stop there. The financial impact on South Africa's economy has left many reeling. The loss of jobs, the loss of income, the loss of retirement savings, many of the things that some of us have held on to for our security for such a long time have simply been stripped away. Then there are the many relationships that during this time have taken immense strain. Even amongst some Christians, Divorce now seems to be the only option as couples have been forced to deal with various sin issues that before lockdown were easy to hide or ignore in the busyness of life. Let's not forget, especially during this lockdown, that the work stress that has just seemed to be multiplied tenfold. People are having to make sure that their work hours are now being fulfilled because there's no travel time. There's almost this expectation that there's now more time for you to do more work and that you have to be able to deliver quality all hours of the day because you don't have to spend time on your car now. Consider that for many who find themselves in this kind of stress and under this kind of work pressure, their parents and many parents, many moms and dads, while trying to navigate and work out all the stress of work, have at the same time been trying to homeschool children. Trying to juggle it all with, without cracking. People are struggling mentally. People are struggling spiritually, emotionally. Faith is being challenged and sometimes even called into question. Depression and anxiety appears to be on the increase. And for many, this has been a time of isolation and loneliness. In all of this, in all of this going on over the last six months, it's almost as if the, the, the waves of despair have constantly just been crashing over and over again and again with barely enough time to raise our heads and breathe. And all, all, we've, all we've got left to do is just at feeling so overwhelmed. We're at this point where all we can do is just cry out, God, how long? How long? Oh Lord, how long? Doubts, questions begin to creep into our minds. God, why me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? I thought you loved me. God, I've kept up my end of the bargain. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Lord, now it's your turn to keep up yours. Why aren't you fulfilling your side? 
these are very real questions that plague us, especially during a time like this. But as we will see, as we will see, we are not in a hopeless situation. In fact, we will see that not only we are not in a hopeless situation this morning, but we are able to rejoice. We are able to rejoice even in the midst of everything that is going on. And to help us with this, to help us see why this is the case, let me encourage you to turn your Bibles to the first letter written by the Apostle Peter. Now, as you may remember, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times, having walked with him for three years. On the night that he was arrested, he denied Jesus. This is the same Peter who, on the day of Pentecost, stood up and preached, and thousands came to faith. He's writing his letter to Christians who were dispersed throughout the northern parts of the Roman Empire, what is now modern-day Turkey. These were Gentile Christians. These were Christians who, before coming to Christ, they wouldn't have been part of the Jerusalem church. They weren't Jews that had uh, converted along with uh, everything that had gone on in Jerusalem. No, no, these were Christians who were from a pagan background. Before coming to know Christ, they would have been engaged in all kinds of pagan worship and idolatry. And that they were facing a time of immense persecution for their faith. And Peter is writing to encourage them. As they face these trials. So with this backdrop in mind. Let me encourage you to follow along as I read. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be starting at verse 3 to verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested generous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, let me pray. Oh, Father God, as we approach this text, as we approach this passage, as we approach your word, Father, I am aware of my inadequacies. I am aware of my weaknesses. Lord, I'm aware that I am fallible. But praise be to God, your word is alive. Your word is active. Your spirit is alive. And Father, I pray that as we consider this passage this morning, that you would fill our hearts with your spirit, that you would give us hearts to receive this message, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Father, most importantly, during this time, we pray that your name would be glorified, that you would be honored, and we would be walking away in awe of you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for many of us, when we are faced with trials, 
the tendency is for our situation to almost take center stage, for our circumstances to be the main focus and to become the lens through which we view all of our life through. This is where all our energy and attention becomes drawn to. And to cope, you know, for many Christians, especially, rather as we, as we find ourselves in the situations, we almost kind of think of it being a, well, let me just insert a Bible truth here situation. While it's always good to, to turn to Scripture, to find hope and encouragement, too often the Bible has just been reduced to a, a, a kind of self-help guide. Something just to, to, to pick us up in the moment, rather than the all-encompassing, living, active Word of God. We look at our situations as if we are the main characters, that somehow this is all about me. And step one is to, to fix it. And if I can't fix it, then I need to get out of it. Even though in the back of our minds, we believe and we know the truth that our trials are teaching and are shaping us. We can fall into the trap of believing that Scripture's only job in the given circumstances is to actually help us in our quest to, to fix or to be removed from the situation. We try visualize what, 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 how our situation should change. We want to transform our circumstances. We, we, we almost fall into the trap of what the New Age world is, is kind of saying in, in terms of visualize the life that you want. Don't be satisfied with, with your circumstances. Don't be satisfied with your, your, your trials and your struggles. Visualize and everything will be fine. Fake it to make it if you need to. That's simply not true. And as we look at this text, we actually see the exact opposite being modeled by Peter. It's not a case of get out or, or try fix. No, remember he's writing to these Christians fully aware of the persecution that they're experiencing. He's fully aware that their current circumstances are trial, are, are suffering. And instead of trying to ease their burden, instead of trying to, to offer them comfort with a just insert Bible verse here, or insert a, a Bible truth, you know, something like, hey guys, God loves you. Or, friends, I know you're struggling, but God has a wonderful plan for your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You just need to have faith. You've just got to, to, to have more faith. Trust that God's purpose is good for you. That He's going to remove you from this. That this isn't His plan for you. But instead, but instead... What does Peter do? He doesn't look at their circumstances. He tries to try to offer them comfort and say that their circumstances are, are not part of the plan. No, no. He stops and he breaks out into glorious praise. Look at that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than focusing on them, rather than focusing on their circumstances, he aims to fix their eyes on God. To praise Him first above all else. And he continues to praise God. Now, admittedly, as we look at this and picture ourselves in a similar situation, I mean, let's be honest, how many of us would actually seek to encourage someone in a similar way? I mean, it almost seems awkward, right? 
That, that, that's not our natural bend. It's not what we, we, we naturally want to do. I mean, can you imagine going to someone who's, who's just lost their job? And the first thing you say to them is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it just doesn't, it, it, it seems off. But this is exactly what Peter does. And he goes on, verse 3, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now let's just pause here. What does that mean? What does that mean? What mercy is Peter referring to? And why do we need to be born again? You see, while Peter is fully aware of these trials that these Christians are faced with, he is acutely aware, acutely aware that relief from their present circumstances is not their greatest need. A relief from their present circumstances is not their greatest need. And he's looking to remind them of this because if it wasn't for God's great mercy, if it wasn't for, for his abundant mercy, they would be faced with a future that makes any trial in this life look like a walk in the park compared to the wrath of judgment, suffering, and eternal separation that they would face separated from God under his condemnation and wrath for eternity. This is what their reality is. This is what they would be facing if it wasn't according to God's great mercy. What am I referring to? Look at that phrase, born again. Now, while some may, may pass this language off as just Christianese, as it were, now what we see is that this, this language, this, this biblical concept of being born again points to a change that, that needs to take place in the lives of every single human being. You see, prior to being born again, these exiled Christians were dead in their transgressions, dead in their sin. And friends, here's, here's the harsh reality. So are we. Why? Because of the rebellion that took place all the way back in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to forsake, chose to rebel against the holy God of the universe. The one who had created everything. The one who had created and put Adam and Eve in his place, in God's place to live under his rule. They rejected him. They chose to be autonomous. They chose to believe the lies of Satan. And as they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God said that they must not eat from, in that instant, sin entered into the world. And that sin defiled them. That it brought death, both physical and spiritual, into this world. It, it shattered that relationship with God. And it is the very same sin that is deeply entrenched in each and every one of us. It's the very same sin that covers each and every one of us. And we stand accused of the same crimes as Adam and Eve because of this sin. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can do to change that. There is nothing that we can do to restore what has been fixed and what has been broken. 
absolutely nothing. You know, just about every belief system, every religion outside of Christianity will tell you, you know what? You're not that bad. You're mostly good. Yes, we, we, we have issues, but it's more about being a product of your environment. All of us are born inherently good. And, and for, for, for religions, for, for belief systems, it's really a case of just make sure that once you've breathed your last breath, as long as your, your good deeds are outweighing your bad deeds, then you're fine. Just do enough good. But friends, here's the problem. God is far too holy. God is far too righteous. He is far too perfect. And our sin, far too great for this to ever be reconciled to one another. God, in His holiness, in His perfection, cannot be in the same presence as sin. That sin cannot go anywhere near God. It is so, our righteous deeds are so wicked that the prophet Isaiah actually says that our best deeds, our most righteous deeds are like polluted garments, filthy rags. Even if we had a thousand lifetimes to live, 10,000 lifetimes, we could never do enough good, live a good enough life to earn our way back to God. It's just not possible. And Peter knows this truth. And his encouragement to these Christians, his encouragement to us is that he has not left them in this state. He has not left them to just stay like that. According to His great mercy, according to God's great mercy, He has not cheated them. He has not cheated us as our sins deserve. And He has caused us to be born again, raised from the dead, raised from death to life, to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, you see, our hope is not found in our ability. Our hope is not found in our own strength. Our, not, our hope is not found in the ability to do good works. Our hope is not even found in the ability to, to grin and to bear whatever situation we're going through. It's not in our goodness. No, our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ alone. All of which, all of which is centered on what God himself has accomplished on what God himself has done in sending Christ to live upon this earth fully God fully man born of a virgin to live a life that was sinless to live a life in perfect obedience to the father to live a life that offered him offered itself as a sacrifice on our behalf you see, when Christ went to the cross, He was taking the punishment, He was taking the penalty that each and every one of us deserved to pay. He took it upon Himself. Each and every one is for our rebellion against God deserve the punishment of death. And yet Christ on the cross, as He hung there, bearing the full wrath of God, bearing the full weight of sin, having never sinned, he took all of it upon himself and breathed his last, saying, it is finished. 
And on the third day, he rose again, showing that his sacrifice had been accepted by God. Friends, this is glorious. This is fantastic news. And this, this good news, this glorious news is what Peter is focusing on. And this is what he's reminding these Christians, that if they have responded to this, if they have turned to what Christ has done, then their greatest need has been taken care of. He's holding out this hope to them before he even gets to their trials. He's reminding them, this is the hope that you have. This is what God has done for you. And friends, this is a question that we need to ask ourselves before we even try to comprehend these past six months and what the coming months and years may look like. This is what we need to be focusing on. If you're watching this sermon, friends, and you have not yet responded, if you have not yet repented and and responded to this gospel message, friend, I urge you, do not hesitate. Respond. Repent. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Put your hope and trust not in your abilities, not in your perceived goodness, not in the, the idea that maybe you're, you're not as bad as the neighbor who's having an affair or the person who's been cheating out their company, that maybe you're not as bad as them. No, no, friends, in light of who God is, you are wicked. In light of who God is, you are hopeless. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Let me urge you, let me press, turn to Christ today. Put your faith, put your hope and trust in Him alone and for what he has accomplished for you on the cross of calvary whatever you're facing right now whatever trials you are going through friends they pale absolutely pale in comparison to an eternity separated from god where you're having to to try stand before him on your own goodness on your own righteousness and try prove that somehow you are good enough No, no, it just doesn't work like that. Apart from Christ, our only assurance is that we have an eternity separated from God under His condemnation. If you're watching this this morning and you have responded to this glorious gospel, friend, because of what Christ has done, you have been raised to a living hope. A hope through Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What God has caused to take place in our lives and the inheritance that we now stand to receive is in light of a future hope. We don't look to the now. We don't look to what's happening. No, no, no. We fix our eyes on what is to come. It's not on this life. It's not even on us. The focus is not even on us. It is what has been secured by God through Jesus. And friends, this this is such an important point to meditate on because the reality is this point of it's a future hope. It's important to remember that because it is a reality that there are many who would seek to take Something like this, this inheritance that, that Peter is reminding these, these Christians of. And look to twist it. Look to twist God's word and suggest that, yes, be adopted. Become part of God's family. Turn, put your faith and trust in what Christ has done. That means that your inherit, this inheritance that Peter is holding out is for now. 
That's what they say, that you're supposed to be enjoying it in this lifetime. That, friends, if you have enough faith, then health and wealth and happiness are yours. That if you have enough faith in pain, suffering, even sickness are not for you. That is the lie that these people are trying to hold out. I mean, can you imagine if this is what Peter had told the exiles? That if they had enough faith, then they wouldn't be in this situation. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the pressure and the burden that would have put on them? Friends, if you have enough faith, imagine him saying, then this suffering, these trials that you're going through would be gone. Can you imagine if he said to them that this wasn't part of God's plan for their lives? But here's the irony. These exiles are faced with trials because of their faith, not because of a lack of it. If they had renounced their hope in Christ, if they had simply said that the claims of Christ were not true and just simply gone back to their pagan ways of the world around them, then in all likelihood they would have been free of any of, suffer- any of the suffering. Jobs would have been opened up to them again. People wouldn't have been abusing them. People wouldn't have been persecuting them. They would have been free from all of the suffering. And this is something that we have seen throughout history time and time again. Christians suffer. Christians face trials. Christians face persecution because of their faith not because of a lack of it. Looking back at our passage, we see that Peter is is seeking to fix the eyes and hope of these believers, not on an immediate relief. He's not trying to give them relief from their present circumstance, because the reality is this relief may never come. But he's looking to fix their eyes on the assurance of what Awaits that there is an inheritance that is waiting beyond this life. The writer of Hebrews captures this beautifully in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. In speaking of those of old, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers. And exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had every opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Friends, whether your trials are brought about because of persecution for following Christ or your trials are brought about because of a global pandemic, we look not to what is seen. We don't look to the here and now. We look to what is unseen. Remember, remember that there is an inheritance that is pure, that is waiting beyond this life, being kept in heaven for you, being kept in heaven for you, who, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time once again peter turns attention towards god not in his readers or their situation that that's not his emphasis that's not the point he's trying to make you would think that by now he would almost start to 
get into the, the nitty-gritty of the present circumstances. Okay, Peter, we know you've spoken about this enough. Now let's get re- down to business, right? That, that's our natural tendency. But Peter rightly presses on and encourages readers, and he's encouraging us with the incredible certainty that we have. We have this incredible certainty. Why? Because it is the very power of God that is guarding us. It is the very power of God that is keeping us safe. Meaning that the faith that we have, the faith that we hold on to for our salvation. Again, looking ahead, looking ahead to this future salvation. A salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time is being sustained by the very power of God. Consider that. The very power of of God, the same power that caused everything to come into existence, the same power that caused Christ to rise from the dead, the same power that caused you to be born again, the same power that opened your eyes this morning, the same power that God has, the same power is the same power that is sustaining you, that is sustaining your faith and will continue to sustain you to the end. That means that whatever we may experience in this life, whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever pandemic we may be faced with, friends, if you are born again, if you have repented and responded to this gospel message, then you have complete and utter assurance that God himself, the very power of God, God himself will sustain you to the end. He will sustain you in your faith so that you would receive your eternal inheritance. Even if that means, even if that means that life here on earth comes to an end, the faith that God has caused in you will never cease. It will never fall away because it is by his power that you are being guarded. Friends, when you begin to truly understand this, when you realize that not only has God done the work to take care of our greatest need through Christ and reconcile us to himself, when you realize that the very power of God will sustain you, when you realize this, then you begin to realize that whatever you're going through is not a mistake. It's not by chance. You haven't somehow in the season of life, be it job loss, whatever the case may be, you haven't somehow slipped out of God's sovereign will. In verse 1, Peter addresses this letter to the elect exiles. That word elect means chosen. He is writing to chosen exiles. Chosen by who? Well, by God. Which means that God has chosen them not only for salvation, but chosen them to experience everything that they're going through. Meaning that if you are a Christian, you are elect. You are chosen by God. And right here, right now, whatever your circumstances, whatever challenges, whatever trials you are facing, you are right where God has chosen for you to be. And these trials that you are going through are not meaningless. They may, in fact, even be necessary. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter has taken the time to help his readers and and help us to see who God is and what he has done. What he has secured for them and why they and us have full assurance of what is to come. Therefore, therefore, because of what we've just seen in verses 3 to 5, because we have this glorious God who's, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again, who is guiding us by the power, because of this, friends, rejoice! Rejoice in this! He says that in this you rejoice! Rejoice that your eternity is secure! Friends, as you sit here this morning, rejoice in that! Even though things look bleak, what you are going through is temporary, especially in light of all eternity. And God is working things out according to His purposes. How can we be sure of this? Well, as Peter says, because the trials that you're going through for this time may be necessary. But how is that possible? How are trials necessary, right? Verse 7 so that the tested genuineness of your faith so that the tested genuineness of your faith trials are necessary so that your faith can be shown to be authentic have you ever considered that that trials are necessary so that your faith can be shown to be authentic and that's not for god's benefit it's for ours Do you realize that God in His sovereignty and His election deemed it necessary for us to face trials of various kinds in order for us to be shown that the faith that He has given us, not that we mustered up, but the faith that He He has given us, that He is sustaining not our own will, not our own power, but that He is sustaining in us is in fact real. And in many ways it challenges us as to uh, to whether our hope is in actually what we say it's in. Our trials challenge us to see if, they, if our faith is genuine. Just as gold, when being tested for its authenticity, is smelted, you know, it's smelted so that the impurities in that gold are burnt away. And as the gold melts down, all you're left with, as the other alloys are simply burnt and, and, and moved away, destroyed, you're left with a purer piece of gold. It's a tested genuineness of it. But if, that, if it's fake gold and that faith, fake gold is, is, is smelted, is melted down, then if it's fake, that fake gold will simply burn away and you'll be left with other alloys, other metal alloys. In the same way, just as the heat of smelting either affirms or breaks down whether the, 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 the gold is genuine or not, in the same way, trials separate faith, separates true faith from counterfeit faith. I love the story that Pastor Clinton shared a few weeks ago of that, that house church in, in the old Soviet Union where they were all gathered together and those Soviet soldiers came, knocked on the door, went in and said, right, anyone who, who isn't prepared to die for their faith, leave now. And almost half of the people left. And when they left, the soldiers came in and said, Right, we're Christians as well. We wanted to make sure that those who were left were genuine Christians. Friends, 
This is why it is so important to be discerning of the messages and teachers that you listen to. Because there are counterfeit faiths that are being held out there. To be wary of what people are following and careful not to be drawn in by the latest fad in popular Christianity. I praise God for the faithfulness in the teaching here at Honey Ridge. I've had the opportunity to listen to a number of devotions and sermons and I praise God for the faithfulness of the teachers here. There are far too many who are pushing a gospel that is void of trials, that is void of sacrifice. A gospel that is more about earthly pleasures, a gospel that is more about living your best life now rather than eternal glories. Gospels that are centered more around us, more around me, more around you, more around entertainment and the personality than around the person of Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Gone are the days when we are seeking to draw people in with the, the preached word of God. It's now about entertainment, pandering to the culture. Friends, whatever you are hearing, whatever you're hearing, let me urge you, be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures to see if what is being said is true. Even if there is anything that you have heard from me this morning, I am encouraging you, go after this, open your Bibles, search the Bible, study the scriptures for yourself to see if what is being said is true. Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word. There are far too many, there are far too many who are perishing in hopelessness, either looking for an easy Christianity or even worse, having one held out for them. See, the more we look ahead to a future hope, the more we focus on God, the more we realize that our trials are never about pointing to us. See, this is the thing. These trials, they're not about us. They're not about our abilities. They're not about us and, and mustering up the strength and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, no. That is not what they're about. They're about pointing to God. Pointing us to God. About Him receiving all glory, all honor, and all praise on that day when Christ returns, when He is revealed. Look again at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever considered during this time with all the struggles that you have gone through, that the way that you respond to these trials points others to where your ultimate hope lies. I alluded earlier to some of the financial repercussions that lockdown has had on our country. How many people have lost their jobs, lost their income? They've lost their savings. They've had to use their savings just to make ends meet over these last six months. Many who've been working for the last 40, 50 years have suddenly lost their entire retirement packages and are now feeling completely and utterly hopeless. Why? Well, because that's 
where their hope was bound. That, that, that's what their hope was tied up in. That's where they found their security, in the security that, 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 that these earthly things was providing for them. They were looking to what is seen rather than to what is unseen. They were placing their hope in the tangible things now rather than the glorious hope that is found in God and His sustaining power and a future inheritance. For many who have called themselves Christians, the genuineness of their faith during this time has even been called into question. Friend, perhaps that's you watching right now this morning. Perhaps the, the situation I've just described is exactly what you're going through, or maybe it's something similar. Do not see that this time of struggle is meaningless. Do not see that this time of struggle is pointless. Do not see that this has had no purpose whatsoever. No, no, it is doing something. And having this, this perspective of who God is and what He has done, it's seeing that God is doing something. Could it be that God in His grace, in His great mercy according to Himself, according to His great mercy, could it be that He has been showing you during these last few months Right? That while you maybe said it was, your hope wasn't in Him at all. Your hope has been in your own abilities. Your hope has been in the financial securities that you've been able to accumulate. But that it wasn't in Him, even though you maybe thought it was. Friends, here's the thing. If that's the case, if that is the case, then... We, we, not only do we, we turn from those things, not only do we need to repent of that, but friends, the reality is we need to fall on our knees and praise God for His mercy, for His grace to us, that He, in His love, would actually do this for us, that He would not leave us in our circumstances, not leave us with this, this false sense of security. No, no, but He would strip it away to show, come to me, I am the one who has it all waiting for you. Come to me, friends, we need to fall on our knees and we need to praise Him. Praise Him that He has not left us grasping, like trying to hold on to sand or to, or to water for the fading false securities of this world. But that He has used this time to perhaps either remind you of where your hope was first put when you became a Christian and what He has done for you. Perhaps he's used this time to remind you of that. Or perhaps he's used this time to even hold out this truth to you for the first time. He's done it in his grace and his mercy to hold this out for you. And to show you what he has waiting for eternity. An inheritance that through his sustaining power we will receive on the day when Christ is revealed. So that, so that, in all things, the result would be praise and glory and honor for our heavenly Father. Friends, let your trials be an opportunity. Let your trials 
be, be an opportunity for the world around us, the world that has been holding on to all of these things, all of these temporary things, the finances, the hope that, that retirement packages bring. Not said they're bad, but the hope that is found. Let this be a time where the world sees that our hope is not on what is seen, but our hope is what is unseen, that our hope is ultimately in heaven. Let this be that opportunity for your life to speak volumes about where your ultimate hope lies. So with all this in mind, where does that leave us? As Peter was writing to the elect exiles, what was he hoping to achieve? What was he hoping the outcome would be? What was he hoping, how was he hoping that they would respond? I mean, as we look at this text, as we look at these verses and reflect on what 2020 has been like up to this point, how do we respond? Well, the first thing that we have to take away from this text is hope. Hope because of who God is and because of what He has done. We have hope because no matter what we experience here, if we are in Christ, then our greatest need has been taken care of. That is, we have been reconciled to a holy and righteous God because of what Christ has done. And because of that, our assurance, our eternal hope is secure. Our eternal inheritance that is waiting for us, being kept in heaven for us, is secure. Not by us, not because of what we could do, but because of the sovereign God of the universe. Man, that, that, that should give us an incredible hope, right? But not only that, it should cause us to rejoice. I said that at the start of this, that there will be an opportunity to see why even in the midst of trials, we can rejoice. Well, this is it because of what God has done. It should cause us to rejoice, to know that this is temporary and there is a glorious future that awaits. This is great news, friends. This is the best news. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this truth. That's what Peter encourages readers to do. And it's an appropriate response for us as well to rejoice. Finally, this, court, this good news of everything we've looked at should cause us to persevere. It should cause us to persevere because we know that in light of eternity, whatever we face, whatever trials, whatever suffering we go through here in this life is temporary. No matter how difficult, no matter how painful, no matter what goes on, we have assurance that we will be sustained to the very end because of God. The very power of God. Friends, with this in mind, I want to just share these, the, 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 these words from a hymn called Never Cease to Praise. And I'm just going to read the first two verses, but I think it captures beautifully what we've been talking about. May we run this race. May we keep the faith. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus that will not lose heart in our struggle with sin and through suffering, no endurance. May we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ to rejoice in trials and be not surprised. May our hearts be so consumed by you, Lord that we never cease to praise. Honeyridge Baptist Church, may this be true of you. Let's pray.
Oh, Father God, we are humbled as we, we, we consider this text to know that, Lord, you have done a work in us, that you are sustaining us, that you have done something in us that we could never hope to do in ourselves, and that is taking care of our greatest need, that you have reconciled us to yourself. And Lord, not only have you reconciled us to yourself, but Lord, you are at work. You are by your power sustaining us, bringing us to an end. We know that he, the author and perfecter of our faith, who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion. Lord, we know that because it is your power that is at work in us. And Father, I pray that this would fill us with an incredible hope and incredible joy. Father, that it would cause us to rejoice. That even in the midst of these trials, even in the midst of the struggles that we are facing, Lord, we would fix our eyes not to what is seen, but what is unseen. And be reminded of the glorious future that awaits. A future where, Lord, we will be in your presence. We will be around the throne of God, worshiping, singing along with the angels, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Lord, we will be in your presence. We'll be gazing upon you. We will be so consumed by you that we will never cease to praise. Oh, Lord, we long for that day. And Father, with that in mind, we know that whatever this life offers, whatever trials, they are necessary. They are producing something. They are shaping us and they are preparing us for one day with you. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you for the glorious truths of your word. We pray that as we, 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 we come to this end now, Lord, pray that we would seek to, to delight in this. To know that our, our circumstances may not change, but according to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again. And, Father, we know that you have done that for your glory and pray lord that in all things as we we go about this week to go about the rest of this day we pray that it would be you that is glorified in jesus name amen well i'm sure you would love to join with me in just uh, extending our sincere thanks to chris this morning for coming to share god's word with us today uh, in God's providence, we've spent the whole of this past week in our new devotional series uh, with John Piper, really digging into 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And in God's providence, we were really just prepared then for, uh, for Chris to take us into this wonderful uh, portion of God's word from verses 3 to 7. And uh, we want to thank the Lord for the great encouragement that his word has been to us. And, and I pray that in this week ahead, as we go into the next week of devotions, that you will continue to to come back to this portion of scripture and dig into the depths of God's word as we continue to look at these verses in our daily devotion in this week ahead. So we're going to close our service today really just ending where we began at the beginning uh, where we were looking forward to the return of, of King Jesus and uh, as we take comfort during our times of suffering and trial as we rejoice in the fact that God is still King and is sovereignly working out his purposes, even in the midst of what we may be going through. So let's close our service today as we, we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And let's sing uh, 
our last song uh, with the voices from the Sing Conference uh, as we sing Psalm 130, I will wait for you. Let's sing that together and may you know the Lord's continued provision and blessing for you in this week ahead. Amen.